concept for EPAR trade is basically, in my opinion, there's a big hole in the internet. So the internet started many years ago, but there's never been an online business community for racers on the World Wide Web. The need for EPAR trade is actually quite obvious. Basically, people in the business of auto racing need a place online to hang out and get their problems solved. It's extremely simple for a buyer or for a supplier to interact on the platform. The first thing you need to do is sign in, which is free. And the second thing is when you see a product that you're interested in, all you need to do is click on request more information. If it's a company, you click on request more information. And then from there, it is forwarded directly to the buyer or to the supplier. You can go to epartrade.com, you become part of a community of businesses in racing and it makes uh, sourcing products much easier than just on the internet or using Google. At epartrade there is no e-commerce, it's literally a connection just like at a trade show. So now, any time of the year, a buyer could reach out to a supplier through an email. More than that, it's a place to go just to keep current every day. So it's a good place to start your workday in your racing business or in your offices of your professional race team. And you know you're current when it comes to new technology, industry news, technical papers, technical videos, all that and more. We're not looking for a million hits per day. All we want is people who are really the volume buyers of racing products in the racing industry to be part of the little world of EPAR trade. We have racing businesses participating from around the world. So you get suppliers from around the world, you get buyers from around the world. EPAR trade really eliminates having to travel, closing down your shop. Now you have a place to showcase globally your racing product and technology. Good morning! I am Francisque Savignan, the founder and CEO of EPAR trade, the global platform for the performance and racing industry. Welcome to Race Industry Now, the technical and business webinar series from EPAR Trade presented by ARP. With me this morning is Judy Kin, the co-founder of EPAR Trade and three times NASCAR co-chief champion, motorsport personality and legend, Jeff Hammond. <laughs> good morning. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning, Judy. How are you doing this morning? And always good. great to see you, Francis. Always, Jeff. I'm excited about today. I've known Jeff at Full Race for probably over 10 years now. Been, been to his facility and I have never seen so many turbos in my life. I'm very impressed by his operations and, and we're very grateful and proud to have had Full Race be part of our first ever race industry week as a sponsor. That's true. I think it was probably one of the first one to sign up actually, yes. right? Mm -hmm. Excellent. So I am getting a signal from our producer, Reed Keneski, and we're going to bring Jeff, Matt, and Nero on the screen. Uh, Jeff will take, will let you take over. Uh, so it's two webinars back to back for you. <laughs> and, uh, and so we're going to be talking turbo. I see Jeff uh, coming in. I see uh, Matt and Nero should be in very soon. Good morning, Jeff. Hey, good morning. Thank you so much for having us. Of course. Okay, Matt is in and Nero should be in any second. So perfect, beautiful. So Jeff Hammond, you're in charge and we'll see you in 55 minutes. All right, sounds good, Francis. Good morning, gentlemen, how are we doing? Doing really well, how are you doing, Jeff? Great. I'm doing really well, doing really well. Matthew, how about yourself? I'm great, thanks. So guys, you know, I'm going to be dead honest with you. The only experience I've got with turbos is the one on my Duramax Chevrolet that, I, that I've worked on to try to you know, pick up a little more bottom-end torque and a little top-end at the same time, and it's very limited. So I'm really looking forward to today because I think I'm going to learn something, and hopefully, you know, a lot of our folks that are tuning in, uh, our attendees, will feel the same by the end of this uh, program. And again, uh, I'm, I'm going to kind of like do, do what I do best. Shut up and tell you, roll them. Whatever you got, throw it at us. Sounds All right, great. great. Well, I think um, Matt is going to start with a presentation and then we can go into some conversation after that. Okay, sounds great. I'll just get my uh, screen sharing set up here. 
Okay, I think my screen should be live. Is everyone seeing that? Looks, looks good, good here. It looks good on my end. Awesome. So today we want to talk with you about turbo system design and more specifically three of the mistakes that the aftermarket industry is making in turbo system design. Right now, there's three common mistakes that we're seeing all the time, and I'm gonna to talk to you about what they are and how you can avoid them or correct them. As mentioned, my name is Matthew Velders. I'm a mechanical engineer and product design, visualization, data and analysis are what keep me awake at night, followed only by my passion for the industry I work in. I was actually reading about full race and car magazines before I was old enough to drive. And now I'm ecstatic to work towards realizing my vision of well-designed, well-supported, and well-marketed products that avoid the mistakes we've all made at some point. So we are Full Race Motorsports, and we've been in business since 2003. Over the years, our partner's obsession with turbocharging has helped us forge relationships with this amazing group of people that I've got uh, up on, the, on my screen here now. We get positive feedback like this from our customers every day and it's what keeps us going. And we know that our customers attend and watch these webinars. So we wanted to stop and say thank you to them. We're dedicated to keeping you happy. In the conversations we've had with our customers all over the world, we've seen the thinking about turbo kits change over the years. Designing a turbo kit used to be a lot less exacting and if you made a quality exhaust manifold, customers would be willing to fabricate, grind, cut, or customize a kit to fit their specific needs. But that's not the case anymore. Customers nowadays expect kits to be fully bolt-on with minimal permanent modifications, detailed install guides, and data that shows what the kit will deliver, and the tangible performance increases they're expecting. At Full Race, we're different, we're specialists. Even though we're a pretty small company, we use these tools to develop and improve our products every single day. Our customers wanna get down the track at the fastest possible speed, and they wanna push their hardware without worry that it will be reliable. So we use SolidWorks CAD software, Creaform 3D scanners, and AEM data logging hardware to create turbocharging products that produce real-world performance gains. And not using these processes and products can cause a lot of headaches. So starting off with mistake number one, historically, people in the performance market could fabricate a product and have confidence that it would fit but that's not always the case anymore. I've kind of created a bit of a bad infomercial here, but it kind of highlights a lot of the common pro uh, problems you'll see with uh, turbo kits that have been fabricated without correct attention to detail. You can have dipstick clearance issues, wires melting, turbos hitting manifolds, wastegates hitting a turbo, and the list could probably go on for the rest of the day. One example of this is moving part interference. It's difficult to anticipate without a CAD model. And this picture is an example of a linkage that we designed that we realized was gonna have some clearance issues and we were able to make a change and save thousands of dollars and customer frustrations. The second mistake that we see a lot is even if your shop uses 3D CAD models, not augmenting those models with 3D scanning can cause even more headaches. Modern engine bays are cramped with tons of wires, hoses, and other metal obstructions, which can make installing a large turbocharger, wastegate, blow-off valve, piping, plumbing, and associated sensors in a modern vehicle much more difficult than it used to be. We've definitely been guilty of making this mistake before because it's not easy or cheap to get a complete engine bay scan, but the investment is well worth it 
because it allows problems to be found before they pop up and it reduces the number of surprises that you'll come across during the design process. At Full Race, we use and absolutely love the Creaform HandyScan 700. It's a handheld red laser light scanner and it allows us to create 3D models from physical parts very quickly. With it, we can accurately scan engine bays and engines. And it's worth noting that for the best results, it's better to pull the engine out of the engine bay to do the scan. The 3D scanned engine bay allows us to quickly determine if the part we have in mind is possible to actually physically fit. Obviously, this oversized EFR is not going to fit. And with the scan, you don't need to disassemble the car a second time to check a new idea or to check a product revision. 3D scanning can also be used to confirm that the parts that are being produced match what you've designed. In this case, we've scanned the head flange for a F-150 slash Raptor turbo manifold and can verify that the flatness meets our spec. Now it's easy to assume that bigger will be better or that a part is worth replacing, but good data should drive the decisions you make about the products you develop and bring to market. A customer's trust is easy to lose and it's hard to gain back again. So we believe that transparency with data builds trust with our customers and gives them a window into our thought processes. We're working with AEM Electronics using their CD5 dash and their 22 channel data logger. It's a really cost effective and proven way to collect data. There's many elaborate systems that are very expensive, but we've had really good results with AEM and happily recommend it to anyone who's developing performance products. So this is a little example of what you might like to do with a system like this. This slide shows engine speed as well as throttle position data that was taken from the ECU's CAN output. The second acceleration event is full throttle from about 4,500 RPM to 7,500 RPM. We've added some external sensors to the system, which have allowed us to log the intake manifold pressure as well as the compressor inlet pressure on the turbochargers. We've discovered that the intake system on a stock car, in this case an R32 GTR, was causing close to one and a half PSI of pumping losses. That may sound quite small, but these types of losses are the enemy on a turbo car and they make the turbo work harder for the same output, which means you either produce more heat or you lose power. So, you definitely need to create CAD models, you need engine bay scans and component scans, and you need to prove that your components work with data to back it up. So now I'd like to show you what engineering parts like this can accomplish. Our first case study outlines the Honda Civic Type R as well as Robin Schutz unlimited class Pikes Peak car. Both applications needed an electronic internal wastegate actuator, which can be seen here. And they needed an EFR turbo, in this case, a B2 series. So the electronic actuator doesn't fit on the turbo as is. It's much bigger and it has different requirements than the pneumatic actuator that comes on the turbocharger. The pneumatic actuators actually allow quite a bit of deflection as the linkage travels through its range. Uh, the electronic actuators can't tolerate any deflection. So this graphic here shows uh, some of the deflection seen in the pneumatic actuator. We were able to reverse engineer this using SolidWorks and it gave us a starting point for what we needed to design around in order to make an electronic actuator fit and not break because of the deflection needed. 
We developed a linkage that would allow us to cycle the system and ensure everything fit and didn't bind. We 3D printed the components and excuse me, performed some dry runs. We tweaked and refined the design until it was successful. At this point, we have the confidence to tool up and begin production. This is an example of the documentation customers can access with this kit. It includes a packing list and a list of installation notes. And finally, this is the real world prototype that we've installed on a turbo for testing. The accurate boost control offered by this electronic actuator system helped Robin Shoot become the overall winner of Pike's Peak Unlimited class two years in a row. So we're pretty proud of that result. Our second case study revolves around Toyota's new A90 Supra and the BMW B58 inline six engine that it comes with. Now this case study started off with Papadakis racing and a global pandemic. Initially, our plan was to visit staff in California, but the pandemic had other plans. That didn't slow us down though, and Steph was able to carry out the scanning at his facility while I worked on the design remotely from Canada. Once the designs were complete, the files were sent to Phoenix so that the manifold could be built from CAD. With the aid of 3D scanning and SolidWorks design software, we were able to produce two unique prototypes in time for competition. Shown here are Papadakis Racing's Frederick Osbo and Ryan Turk. Both of these vehicles are running full race twin scroll EFR turbo kits and currently Frederick Osbo's B58 Supra is leading the 2021 20, Formula Drift points chase, relying on our hardware to go round after round. Now this portion of the design process also had a sort of strange and unintended consequence, which is my mom becoming Frederick Osbo's number one fan. Now building a kit for a race car is very different than building a production kit that we would like to supply to customers. We laid out the groundwork with Papadakis, but we needed to ensure fitment on 2021 plus production Supras. And that's where Titan Motorsports comes in. They're a longtime partner of Full Race for all things 2JZ Supra, so they were a natural fit for the B58 Supra. And uh, you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong later, Nero, but I believe you currently hold the uh, quarter mile record for the new Supras. So pretty awesome. And they believed enough in our vision that they shipped a Supra from Florida to Arizona to allow us to finish the R&D process on an actual streetcar. So this slide here shows the first portion of our um, Super Turbo Kit, and it actually includes the components from the previous case study, which is the electronic wastegate actuator. Um, so this is perfect for a car that wants to retain the OEM ECU. They can plug the electronic actuator directly in to the factory wiring harness and continue on very simply. But with Titan Motorsports, we're working on a more advanced external wastegate kit that will be the ultimate in uh, power potential for the Supra. And you can see some of our initial 3D scans on the right-hand side of the slide here. So we've scanned the hood as well as the underside of the hood and the engine bay to make sure that there's no clearance issues with any of the coolant lines or wiring harnesses. Now, some companies try and serve everyone, but at Full Race, we like to serve the obsessed. So if you're a shop or a kit builder that specializes in anything turbocharged, please reach out to the team at Full Race and we'll get you set up with an account to provide the expertise you need. This is how you can reach us. We've got a brand new website. You can open a new browser tab and go to fullrace.com wholesale and fill out the form to create an account and we'll get you set up. Now I'd like to turn things over to Jeff and Nero to give a little bit of background on themselves and 
have a little discussion on uh, the relationship between Fall Race and the, uh, the super project we're working on. Okay. Yeah, so um, I'm the founder and CEO at Fall Race and Matt Velders is uh, my number one engineer there. And we're really excited to work with Nero because um, we specialize in turbos. And so we, we kind of consider us ourselves the turbo experts, whereas Nero, they specialize in supers and they are the supra experts. And so what we try to do is find particular niches. Um, as most of you guys know, this is a very fragmented industry. So somebody who specializes in supers is probably not going to work on Fords. And that person is not going to work on Chevys. He's not going to work on Subarus. So at Full Race, we'd like to identify um, you know, partners for each particular niche. And really that's where Titan came in. They were the undisputed leader in Supras and uh, 2JZ legacy Supras. And so now that as the B58 Supra is really becoming a thing, uh, we, we needed a partner. And so Titan was a natural fit. So yeah, Nero, go ahead, give us some background. Yeah, so I'm the president of Titan Motorsports. Um, I've known Jeff for probably about 20 years. Um, we both started right around, I think the same time. Um, and I, uh, I could say, even when we see each other at trade shows, we'd both be driving ourselves crazy because we were, you had so many things going on. Um, and uh, I mean, back then, I don't even think uh, 10, 15 years ago, we could spend five minutes on a podcast. So um, things have obviously changed. Uh, you know, our, both of our businesses have become a lot more efficient. Um, we do definitely specialize in the Supra, you know, not only uh, building and installing the parts here, but also on a mail order um, basis. So we have lots of customers worldwide that kind of want to buy our recipe or um, utilize us for part sources. Um, Jeff and the, the team at Full Race came on board. You know, they make a phenomenal product. Um, a lot of almost excess engineering goes into the product, you know, where you're gonna have the least amount of issues or no issues to the end user. You know, Our goal as a shop, we have a fab team, an installation team, we can modify something to make it fit if we have to, nobody wants to, but our customers who are installing stuff in their own garage do not have that capability or even necessarily that knowledge. And so we need to be able to ship and sell a product that we're confident is gonna fit and install relatively easily. I don't want to say plug and play, but a lot of the stuff is um, getting to that point where it, it literally just, you know, plug, plugs and plays and you're not modifying the factory chassis or, you know, having to modify the wastegate dump tube or some, some other part of the configuration. So um, that's what uh, kind of brought us over to working with full race. You know, we are, uh, Two completely different businesses, you know, as far as what we do, but we obviously both do lots of turbocharging. So partnering with them is honestly better than building the uh, turbo kit in in-house at Titan because one, we wouldn't be able to possibly keep the quality that consistent, spend that much time to engineer it. But also once you're to that point and you have customers that are selling, we also can't produce that much quantity. So all those pieces. Um, are very important when you're dealing with a partner and uh, there's got to be a lot of trust, right? So like if we were new to Supras, Jeff probably would have been like, yeah, I'm not interested. You know, I don't know who this guy is. <laughs> so, um, a lot of trust comes into play and that just takes years of working with people to, you know, continue to move up that to those next steps. Yeah, totally. Okay. <laughs> Matt, I'm glad you, uh, we've been, I've been reading your comments and everything. And, and folks, we know you got questions, but we wanted the guys to be able to go through their presentation so they could, you know, give you an example of what, where they are, what they got going on, explain themselves. And um, like uh, Steve was curious about uh, right after we got started about going back to the uh, slides with the grass and explain a little bit more in detail. And then we have Jill sitting there and she was uh, assuming, or they wanted to know about your, uh, opinion as far as aftermarket stuff is concerned when it comes to 650 and versus 750 uh, horsepower turbos. So you guys want to address those questions right there before we move on? I'll speak to Jill's question real quickly. The 650 to 750 range, uh, the answer is it depends. And uh, it depends entirely on what the application is, how much displacement, how much engine RPM, um, how much boost. 
what's your altitude? There's, there's actually a multitude of factors. I personally um, don't love the sound of a screaming external wastegate unless it's a dedicated racetrack car. And so I would tend to go toward internal wastegate for a street car and then you know external wastegate for a, for a race car. But you can achieve both objectives with both wastegates. And um, you know, realistically, if you're looking to do something, reach out to us and we can help make sure you get the right setup uh, for what you need. Perfect. Okay, I've moved back to the uh, the data logging slides here. So, the the primary goal of this test was to find out if the factory intake system was causing restriction or not. Mm -hmm. So, the engine speed and throttle position graphs were just to sort of keep track of uh, when an acceleration event is happening and what engine speed range we're running through. And then the pressure comparison, um, actually I'll go to the graph that's a little bit more zoomed in. You can see most of the time, the data for turbo inlet one and two are hovering right around zero, which is atmospheric pressure. So under these conditions, the intake system isn't providing any pressure drop. However, once you get into higher RPM or higher boost, we start to see that the pressure at the compressor inlet is dropping below ambient pressure, which means the turbocharger is having to work extra hard to overcome the uh, restriction in the inlet. So in this case, the OEM intake system has mass airflow sensors. It has that sort of like rubbery corrugated piping with lots of tight bends and all of that contributes mm -hmm. to pressure loss. So if you can mitigate that pressure loss, your turbo can um, work much more efficiently. So in this case, it would probably be worth uh, producing a better intake system because this is only at around stock power levels. And the higher the power levels are, the more airflow you're gonna have through the system and the worse this pressure drop is going to get. Hopefully that clears guys. up. All right, thank you. Um, hopefully, Steve, that gave you a little bit more information on what you were looking for. And uh, before we go any further, since you're, we've kind of like, we're touching on a couple of things. I'm just watching your, your presentation, very impressed with the Pikes Peak result. What about in a situation like that where you're going from elevation changes and stuff like that, how hard is, is it to keep up and make that thing perform I mean, un undoubtedly it performed at its peak, but is that a big challenge for you when you're going from basically sea level and going up and, and just like say, you just in and out of the throttle and asking it to, you know, give it all it's got for a long extended yeah. period of time? Huge, huge Definitely. difference at lower altitudes. As you, as you go up the peak, the amount of air that's available to compress by the turbocharger is much less. And that means the turbocharger has to spin way faster to make the same amount of boost. And uh, you absolutely can reach a point at which the turbo is spinning too fast, and that's called turbocharger overspeed. And uh, the turbocharger can fail in catastrophic ways. And uh, actually, I did another presentation with Deep Park Trade uh, a number of months ago. And we'll put a link in this thing later. But um, we, we talked about exactly that. And in fact, we used the Pikes Peak example. But it is really important if you're at elevation to, to match and physically do the math rather than just assume this guy on Facebook is running this thing and it works great. No, if you're at elevation, the, the, the numbers are critical. Okay, very good. So question for all of you, I mean, really, what is the most rewarding, most challenging and hardest part of creating and designing new products? I mean, you guys, I mean, it seems like y'all have just fallen into a into a unbelievable great opportunity for all of y'all to, to really kind of like go go to the next level and with all that being said and y'all being in different locations what what are, what are the challenges that you're faced with right now as far as uh making it happen and at the same time uh, what's the most frustrating part about it i mean what some of the challenges you know i would say is finding the right partners to you know see your same vision um and I'd say that goes almost with anything across any, any form of the business. So um, one of the easiest parts is once you've 
found that partner like like Jeff with us with the uh, A90 series is just shipping him the car and then now it's his problem. So, um, and then he can work with us, you know, in finding the solutions. Um, the industry is also constantly changing. Uh, every day there's a new product, there's new tuning, like right now with the um, new Supra B58 platform, the tuning is constantly changing. So um, in a year from now, the even though the, the turbochargers may still be this, you know, same items, modern, modern turbocharging, just being able to change things on the car that we weren't able to change now will change turbo combinations that we would use. Um, to give you an example with like the current B58 uh, with the factory ECU, you're not able to raise the rev limiter. Um, so obviously you can't, you put too big of a turbocharger and you're going to be out of the power band quite a bit. Um, when we are able to, you know, and uh, change the rev limiter and do a lot more tuning changes like that, then not only will some of the way the engines are assembled be, uh, you know, configuration change, but also um, the size of the turbocharger will change as far as, you know, drag racing goes and looking for the maximum amount of performance. Okay. Hey, I noticed, you know, talking about your super relationship, you know, with deal with Toyota and everything. And it looks like, you know, going back and look at, you know, a lot of stuff that's online, especially there at Titan, you know, you guys, you know, you work with a lot of, uh, of imports, you know, but yet I noticed you also have a relationship with Ford. Um, are they the only domestic, you know, manufacturer that you guys are working with currently? And, and, and why did you wind up, you know, winding up being with, you know, with Ford? Uh, our, as Nero just said, you know, the whole trust component is big. This is a small industry. You know, people think the auto industry is huge. It's not. It's small and everybody knows each other. And so you really can't ever burn a bridge because you're not welcome back to the club. And so we've been doing this for 20 years uh, and really our relationship with Ford Warner, um, they are the OE manufacturer for Ford and uh, the EcoBoost product line for the F-150. So Ford came to us in 2009 and said, hey, we're working on this thing called EcoBoost. We're wondering if you prototype a turbo kit and um, you know, see what it does. And so we started working with them and they got us some unbelievable data. Uh, CFD data that we really couldn't generate on our own. It required Ford's aerodynamics team uh, to, to help us with it. So what, what Ford did is they came to us at an early stage. We created some prototypes and they've worked with us by providing us vehicles and engines for our own development. I, I truthfully don't believe there's any other automaker that's in the United States actively pursuing turbos like them. Obviously, Chevy has some turbo plays. You got the small cars, you got the 274 cylinder, now the Corvette uh, ZR1, I think, or maybe ZR6 is supposed to be a twin turbo. But um, in general, Chevy's been a, a naturally aspirated V8 platform, and our specialty is turbochargers. We don't do superchargers, we don't do clutches or transmissions or engine builds, we just do turbos. And so by definition, we're going to work on platforms that are obsessed with turbos. So Matthew, you Matt, or what's the what's the thing that as you were saying in the very beginning you live and breathe and just sleep this stuff you know 24 7 mm -hmm. you know so what's what's the next step what's the next thing that you, as we look behind you there we see the turbos and the different different ones mm -hmm. um where's the future you know where where is it taking us i mean what's what's the next uh i guess you might say in my world i'd call it a widget what's the next widget um i think looking well beyond this super project the additive manufacturing and 3d printing is, is the next the next big thing um we do 3d printing in-house for test fitting of prototypes and we have worked on a manifold for papadakis racing actually that was 3d printed in Inconel. Um, usable production ready 3d prints are still a little bit far away for the aftermarket industry. It's happening in aerospace, but it's still very expensive. But I think the ability for shops to print production components in-house is it's definitely the next big thing we've got our eyes on. Okay. You were showing a map earlier in your presentation. And like you say, you guys have got You've gone everywhere. I mean, you, you're you're Australia, South America, you know Europe. 
is is there one part of the world or one part of the of the of this country, the United States, that is really starting to gravitate and and race these you know race turbochargers and look are looking for your types of services more so than others? I mean, is the European European market greater than the one here in the United States? I think that you're absolutely right. The markets are different, and turbos have been in Europe. Asia, Australia, a whole lot more than they've been here. And uh, more in terms of numbers, not so much, but in terms of percentage, there is just way more small displacement turbocharger, turbocharged engines outside. So um, the U.S. is really, you know, it's been growing and it's growing rapidly. But as I mentioned earlier, it's a fragmented industry. And so I feel like uh, each region of the world is going to have different preferences. So in Japan, you know, it's obviously going to be Japanese cars. And then in Europe, it's probably going to be European cars. Uh, Australia, Japanese cars. And, um, you know, while they got U.S. cars, they got Ford Falcons or Holden Commodores, like cars that never even really existed in the United States. So every uh, market is fragmented and every part of the world is fragmented. And um, it, again, goes back to trust and partners. You just need to know the right people in the right places. And, you know, you'll wake up 20 years later and you'll have customers in 100 countries like you do. And uh, I think that really comes back to the fact that we're specialists by specializing in one specific area and just drilling deep rather than taking the shotgun approach and going you know, wide and just spraying everything. If you take one niche and really you know, obsess over it for a long enough time, then you're going to find yourself on the other side with people around the world knowing who you are and what you do. All right, you see what Steve is asking you right now as far as, you know, can you sense, uh, share some insights on how to better understand AR to our benefit? So, so A over R is area over uh, radius, and it's typically described as the size of a turbine housing. Mm -hmm. And from mathematical perspective, a 1.0 AR is optimal. It has just the right amount of top end flow, just the right amount of bottom end flow, but it's always 1.0 AR. And um, there's pros and cons to that. If you were at a 0.6 AR, it'd probably spool a little faster and have a little less stop end. And if you're at a larger than 1.0, like a 1.4, then you're going to spool a little bit later and have a little more top end. So you're biasing the housing one way or another. But at the end of the day, um, crunching the numbers, physically knowing how big is your engine displacement, what's your altitude, what's your max engine RPM, what's your boost, what's, you know, going through these uh, things. And Full Race does this every day. If you really want to know like what, a particular turbo should do, we can crunch the numbers for you and you know, help you figure out what is the output going to be. But at the end of the day, max RPM, engine displacement, volumetric efficiency, all these things matter. So um, I, I tend to prefer divided housings slightly above 1.0 AR or, or near, near around 1.0 AR. If it's a race car, you might be going a little bigger, depending if it's a drag car or a road race or uh, drift. You know, um, AR is really a big factor and it requires uh, some thought and some analysis. Okay, here, here's my ignorance and tell me how you, uh, you know, what, what you do to this. If you are going different places in the United States to race, how do you tune your tur turbo for that atmospheric deal or whatever? Is it, is it all done through ECU? Is it, do you need to make a change, a housing change? I mean, you've got to carry a, a spare turbo. You know, I'm, I'm asking. It a depends on what level of racing are you at. And so yeah. we're talking about Papadakis. He's number one in Formula Drift. That is a hotly contested series. There's big budgets. And some guys are, are very competitive trying to, to be number one. And so Papadakis has three turbos on Australia, three different size turbos. If he's at a small track like um, English Town, New Jersey, it's a figure eight now. That would be the 8474, so the smallest turbo he's got. If he's a big track like Irwindale, he's going to put the biggest turbo he's got because he can lay down the horsepower in that one final um, uh, turn. And so it really depends. And what is the level of competition you're at? What's your setup? Now, me personally, I'm not a, a competitive guy. I just want to have fun on the weekend. So I have a turbo car. That's it. You know, run what you're wrong, but I'm not trying to win a national points, points series. What do you, how do you think about, what do you think about that kind of approach right there? I mean, you're, you're right in the middle of all this stuff. So what's it like down in the, in the Florida area? So, you know, most of the tracks we race along the East coast, um, we don't have a huge amount of elevation changes, but um, also in our trailer, we keep multiple exhaust housings, um, multiple turbochargers, 
Um, one, just as a spare in case, I mean, anything can happen. Something can, you can suck something up. You can just, you know, um, run metal through the oil if you have an engine failure. So you got to have, you know, spares if you're trying to win any kind of big events, you know. Um, but, you know, measuring the data, um, as Jeff said, is critical. And, you know, we measure, you know, we have a lot of sensors on our car and we'll measure back pressure, um, EGTs, uh, in, and we'll see which, which turbocharger do we feel is the most efficient for our race, our platform. Um, so, there, you know, in a lot of the races we have, we have um, unlimited uh, turbocharger accessibility. So we could run a 98 or a 102 or a 110. So what's going to kind of work the best for us, you know, on that weekend? Track prep also tends to be a big deal. You know, similar with drifting, they have a different course and they're trying to slide the car around. We're not trying to slide the car around. So if the track is hot and slimy, we may need, we may be better off using a smaller turbocharger um, and focusing on our incrementals, uh, you know, just to be the best they can be, not to set any kind of record. Okay, so guys, you know, for myself, you know, I'm I've tuned in on this right here. I'm thinking about either expanding my business or I'm wanting to get in this business. How do you where can a guy go to learn what he needs to learn, especially when you have I'm just to say, I know what a turbo is, I know what it's supposed to do, but like I say, from that point on, I, I'm I'm dumbing a block block of wood. So where do you go? I mean, Matt, do I, do I call full race? Jeff, do I call you? I mean, who, what do I do here? I mean, guys, you know, where can you go? If you're curious right now, who can give you the best advice? Again, you got, we got three different entities happening here and y'all got a relationship. How do I, how, as you said, how do I get into club? I, uh, I get asked this a lot when I'm at the racetrack. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, especially with a lot of young up and comers, you know, they ask like, how'd you get into this? How, you know, how'd you fall into it? Um, I mean, one of the reasons I think Jeff and myself and Matt do these kind of podcasts is to educate the new generation. Um, and I, I tell them that, you know, they ask, is there a school? Is there a place to intern? And I tell them, I mean, the first thing is you, you to be in this industry, this subsect, you've got to live, eat and breathe it. So if you really love it, um, read everything you do online watch obviously a lot of YouTube podcasts and, you know, start having your brain work around, you know, what works in the industry, what the brands are, um, how things are accomplished, mm -hmm. but also don't believe everything you, you know, read and see on the internet either. So you have to have an objective mind and, uh, you know, you do that for a couple of years. Um, you start hanging out at various car clubs, you get your click of friends and um, you start feeding off of each other. And before you know it, um, you could have a job at one of the performance aftermarket places. Um, and if you have a business mind, you may at some point leave and start your own uh, business up. And uh, I'd also add to that, um, if you have a specific application in mind and you're looking for help sizing a turbo, I would definitely say to call full race and our sales guys can help you figure out exactly what you need. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah, that's honestly it. And, uh, you know, I've realized that this, this um, webinar is going out to a lot of guys who are, whether fabricators or kit builders or shop owners or whatever, um, you know, truthfully, we're always looking for partners like Nero with the Supra. If you have a particular application that's, you know, going to need some serious development work or even just hardware support that's what full race really does so yeah please reach out to ourselves and that is what we do all day every day well if you haven't uh, realized that we do have a gentleman uh from germany and he said uh hello to nero to begin with theo zimmerman and uh he said you know it was a very niche but big segment but now that the b58 super can you imagine going in also to BMW sector and offer stuff like this there. And how do you think this Toyota BMW coup will uh, benefit both camps? So, so it sounds like somebody in the know in Europe. So, you know, uh, a lot of the B58 stuff we do now does carry over. Um, obviously, Supra is the kind of in your face. That's the always been an aftermarket uh, icon. So 
that's what a lot of people follow. But, you know, you can get some of the other BMWs with B58s, whether the entry point is cheaper. If you're looking for like kind of more of a sleeper, people don't realize, you know, something you have modified. Um, so there is a lot of carryover. Um, will, will we head into BMW heavily? Probably not. You know, we'll probably stick with the Japanese import segment. Um, but with the carryover, obviously, we get we're already getting a lot of sales from people who don't have Toyota Supras. Um, and I think the BMW partnership with Toyota, I, it, it's obviously working, right? The car is super popular. Um, it's some it, it's been hard to find them even at dealerships. So sales are good. Um, you know, BMW's always had a bit more of a luxury performance um, push than Toyota. So I think that's what one of the reasons Toyota partnered with BMW because you know, it's a little bit outside of Toyota's typical core, although they do have obviously the following, you know, from the 90s of, from the prior Toyota Supra. Yeah, I think no, I was just, I was just going to say, go ahead and finish what you're saying, because I was getting ready to kind of go in a different direction here. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to carry it on. The, what he said about the B58 carrying over, there's a lot of cross-chassis compatibility. I, I think what uh, BMW brought to the table was was really big in the way of uh, the DCT, huge game changer. And also, as you see what BMW is now producing, the new M3s, M4s, a lot of people are really not loving the new M3, M4. And so the B58 rather than the S58 could very well be a more popular platform going forward. I know if I was personally going to go to a BMW dealership and pick up a car, I think the M3, M4s are hideous. The front end is so gross. Whereas you look at the B58 BMWs, it's like, that's a classic, gorgeous BMW. So I actually think this is a, a really good long-term positive. And in regards to the aftermarket industry as well, I think this is a really interesting time because it's it's opening up traditionally German shops to the Japanese market and traditionally Japanese shops are coming over to the German market a little bit. And I think uh, anytime you have extra options and extra competition, it really uh, inspires and motivates everyone to, to bring their A game and, and really pushes the industry forward. So I think it's great. Well, speaking of pushing the industry forward, one of the things I was just, you know, going to comment about is what's happening in the in this industry right now. Was it did it get a big, sh you know, shot in the arm when drifting started, you know, kind of getting more popular in, on the West Coast, and whenever the the Fast and Furious series kind of started showing up, because all of a sudden it wasn't always about Corvettes or Mustangs or something like that. It was showcasing, you know, some the Supra and some of the other, you know, aftermarket stuff, I would say from Europe that maybe a lot of people didn't really kind of consider as a hot rod. And you, you guys seem like you're right in the middle of making them, making these guys like BMW. Uh, it, to, to me, is almost like a, you know, European Cadillac. Is it, my description would be, I mean, it's just a luxury type ride, smooth ride. And, you know, now all of a sudden people are wanting to hot rod it up and, and make it into uh, I don't know, something like you say, Jeff, it, you know, it's a cool looking ride. And at the same time, now it's got, you know, some get up and get not to say it didn't, but now it's got even more. Um, I would say like uh, definitely the first Fast and Furious, you know, brought a lot of the performance and racing for the sport compact segment into the mainstream, right? I mean, hundreds of millions of people watched the movie and so that kind of advertising, I mean, there's, there's nothing better. So it definitely uh, shot up the market and made, made a lot of what, you know, ourselves and uh, the guys at Full Race been, were doing before. Um, they it validated it and made it uh, definitely mainstream. And, and we saw a definite spike in revenue for, uh, from that. And uh, I'd say drifting has uh, continued to follow on with the drag racing scene and um there's a lot of professional drag racers um that have moved to drifting such as you know papadakis um bergenholtz you know uh so uh, a lot of those guys are, are involved and um that's added another layer to our sport well folks you know we're getting about 10 minutes here left in this webinar and so if you got any questions please get them in i uh, really appreciate you, uh, everybody joining us today thank you for arp being a sponsor and uh, as i steve when when koski 
uh, he wanted to know, are there any t uh, tips on turbo inspections as far as, uh, you know, making sure that we don't have a problem getting ready to happen? I'm going Raymond, you're right. Cadillac is a high-performance car now, so I, I stand corrected on that. And uh, Rob from uh, just wanted to let us know that he is enjoying the information discussion. discussion and, oh, uh, he, Nero, he loves your chair. I mean, that is pretty impressive. I got to, I got to say, a king in his throne right there. It looks pretty impressive for sure. So we won, we won this chair at the last uh, race. It was part of um, the huge prizes that we did for uh, running our Supra and X275 at um, Sweet 16, which is one of the biggest uh, X275 races of the year. And um, Donald Long, who uh, is the promoter, goes really above and beyond with. The prizes so yeah we got the chair we got the trophy i mean we got the check we you know so uh it was great yeah. so yeah i'm uh constantly enjoying using this thing whenever possible so what about the tips as far as inspecting uh, a turbo to make sure you're not getting ready to have a failure what do you, what so do you have i'll, to I'll take that for? one right off the bat if you can visually see the turbocharger and grab the shaft like take the intake tube off grab the shaft if your wheel is hitting your housings, or if there's any scratching marks on your housings, your turbo is done. And it probably isn't going to be fixed. And to fix it is probably going to cost more than buying a new turbo. So right off the bat, grab the shaft, move it. There's going to be movement if there's no oil pressure, because that's what oil pressure does, is it stabilizes the shaft. But with engine off, definitely with engine off. Do not put your finger anywhere near the turbo, engine on. But engine off, grab the shaft, it's just going to move. You need to spin it as it's moving and make certain that the wheels have not come into contact or are not coming into contact with, with the housing. So that's step number one. Uh, step number two, typically most people complain that the turbos are smoking and they're like, the turbo is bad at smoking. Well, in my experience, more often than not, smoking comes from two factors. One, a clogged uh, oil drain line or excessive crankcase pressure. So you could have uh, rings that are shot. You could have a kink in your uh, oil drain tube back to the pan. Or you can have too much oil. So that could be too much oil pressure or too much oil volume. So you solve the volume with the restrictor. Uh, most turbos now have them built in, so you shouldn't add one. But um, it, the second solution is to solve it by reducing oil feed pressure. So um, really, that, that's what my advice is. If the turbo does not have wheel to housing contact, it's probably OK. Uh, there's some tolerance there. But if you're dealing with a major manufacturer, Garrett or Warner, uh, you know, somebody who makes millions of turbos a year, it's probably OK. If you're dealing with a small shop with a mystery turbo, there's a good chance you could have uh, some, some failures just because of quality control. So um, right off the bat, first question you should ask yourself is, is this made by a major company? Um, if it is, then yeah, do, do traditional uh, troubleshooting for your inspection. But if it's not made by a major company, then uh, you know, all bets are off. It's anybody's guess. What they're doing too. And I agree. Uh, a lot of the smoking um, is from the oil drain, uh, either sometimes that's sizing, um, sometimes that's a kink, a clog. Um, and one thing to also look, you may have a nice AN hose. It may look good, but it could have collapsed also internally. So um, not just the quality of the turbo, but obviously the quality of the associated hardware uh, can, can play a part in uh, turbocharger failure. Yeah, totally. Smear a bunch of RTV on your oil you know, return flange, and it looks great from the outside. The guy's like, no, here, it's a picture. But then he pulls it off, and the whole thing's clogged with RTV. You know, there's no oil draining, so I'll do it. Gotcha. What about what about you know the air intake for the, for those kind of you know for that? Is there is that critical also as far as the amount of you know your your the outside air that's getting into the turbo itself? Yeah, fresh cool air, just like naturally aspirated, um, still the same for a turbo. The cooler it is coming, and the, the less work that the intercooler needs to to do to take the uh, to exchange the heat. So, uh, you know, just like anything else, uh, unrestricted intakes and um, fresh, cool air. Yeah, turbo inlet's probably one of the few cases where you can normally say bigger is going to be better within reason. Yeah. Well, that's one thing that was the reason me, I was asking, that was one of the biggest things we did to, to my truck was to get it to have a little bit better you know, get up and get, and, you know, the guy that, that worked on it, you know, he worked on opening that up as much as he could to, to make it work and get fresher air. And he had me change, you know, the intake as well as a filter, you know, he said how critical that could be. 
and I, which I realized it, but I didn't realize how much I could feel it. Once I got it all put back together, that you know we could go from a dually, all of a sudden now it's spinning rear wheels. I mean, that's some gun. I mean, it'll 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 just about light them up, you know, after you get it rolling. Which so all those things right there were a big thank you from from me. But at the same time, I was really surprised how much work he had done, and he told me how much he had raised it as far as the overall power curve was concerned, but yet I, how much I could feel it. I mean, it was like, bam, I said, whoa, where'd that come from? So I can appreciate that, you know, when you say uh, how important that is. And uh, Mike is asking us real qu quickly about high heat uh, climates and an open air system in the engine bay better than the air coming from the outside. It's still gonna be hotter in the engine bay, but at this end of the day, you know, some vehicles don't have the ability to gain airflow from the outside. So uh, not everyone wants to hack into their car and put a hood scoop or something to do that. So uh, the application is going to dictate where you can put the air filter, but yeah, at the end of the day, high heat climates are still going to be cooler outside than inside the engine. But you can sometimes look at options like heat shielding to keep uh, radiant heat away from exhaust systems or to keep the flow coming out through your radiator away from the filter, which, which if you don't have the option of coming from outside the engine bay, it might help lower your temperatures a little bit. And that's where the engine bay scan really helps because Matt can you know, manipulate all these things without inking the car in front of them and, and physically making something to do it virtually. Let's uh, go back and we'll ask one question here as far as you talk about, you know, don't have a one, you know, I guess you might say a universal turbo that just bolts on everything so guys are you the you are you are you the guys you need to come to if you want help to get the right turbo to go on an application yeah that's like an aftermarket down. type deal yeah that's exactly what we do that's that's a big yeah. percentage of our business all right well that's great i mean again you know the the thing that gets me is is that it's it's at our fingertips now and Folks like yourself, you're making big strides and showing results, uh, not only on racetrack, but at the same time, it looks like on, on the street. So uh, really appreciate your time and your knowledge and what you've been able to share with us today. And uh, again, I know you've been on here before and I know you'll be on here again. So uh, what I'm saying to all of our uh, attendees right now is make sure if you got a question, and I guess I'm saying this right, you got a question, and you get hold of one of these three guys and they'll make sure you don't waste a lot of time and waste a lot of money and get the result you're looking for. Uh, am I saying that, that the right way? Yeah, we're, this is our job every day. Yeah. This is all we do. Yep. Well, it has been a pleasure. And I know, like I say, you know, Judy, you've known, known these guys uh, for a long time and you have witnessed and seen their, their genius and their ability to basically influence what the future of the turbo world is going to be like. Yeah, Jeff has always been very forward thinking to me. That's how I, I see him. Thanks, Judy. Fun to watch your company grow as well. Appreciate it. Remember you coming to visit us many times over the years. Yeah. And, and it's if I can add, it's fun to see both, you know, Titan and, and, and Full Race, you know, work so closely together. That's really what's magical in this industry. It's, uh, you know, people think on one hand, you have the supplier, on the other hand, you have the buyers, but it's a lot more complex. And it's also an industry dominated by small businesses, uh, you know, you know, small companies that just, you know, focus on, on making the greatest products, offer the best services and, and our racers. So you basically are the perfect example of what this industry is all about you know made by racers for racers so we love that and uh, and thank you so much uh, for being with us today so the webinar has been recorded it will be posted later on on the ePortrait platform as well as on our youtube channel uh, we also pushed uh, back to the homepage of ePortrade uh, full race product. So please take advantage of it and you can connect with them. There is a, a website you wanted to uh, promote, Jeff, correct? Uh, should we say it one more time? Yeah, full-race.com slash wholesale. So that's if any of you guys are shop, uh, shop owners, kit builders, uh, fabricators, if you guys need anything turbocharger related. Uh, go to our site, you can fill out an application, we'll set you up with a wholesale account. 
Beautiful. Excellent. So thank you for being with us. We will be back next week at nine o'clock again, and we will be talking uh, fuel cells and fuel tanks with uh, Titan. So thank you very much, and let's go racing. Great. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Yeah, Thanks. Bye. Registering on ePartrade is easy. Fill out your name, email, phone number, and create a secure password. Next, select your business type. Choose supplier if you're looking to display products or services and connect with buyers. Choose racing business if you're looking to find new parts and connect with suppliers. Choose race team if you own or are a member of a professional racing team. Begin typing your company name. We most likely already have your company in our database, which you can select from the dropdown. Then, enter your job title. Choose Claim Company if you'll be editing your company profile. Other members of your company can choose Join Company if they'd like to use ePartrade as well. You can view and agree to our terms of use here. If you'd like to receive our weekly newsletter, choose Accept. Click Register Now and your registration will be submitted for approval. You'll need to confirm your email once it goes through. To keep our platform industry only, you'll be approved shortly after. If we require additional proof of business, we'll reach out. Welcome to ePartrade.